But you might get all the books. You might get all the courses to learn about how to be the best manager or how to address this or that problem for you know working with your teams. But they're really nothing in comparison with the hands-on experience that you get. And sometimes what you get in the books doesn't really work. And you need to you know keep your mind open, ask questions, be kind, willing to understand others as well. There's no perfect cookie-cut recipe. And whatever has worked for me might not always work for your listeners right now and that's fine because everyone is on their own journey Um, so stay curious challenge yourself look for the legacy that you want to leave behind that's something that's always helped me whenever i've struggled with a situation or a decision that i had to make i always ask myself hey if they're ever gonna make a movie about me how do i want it to be remembered what am i leaving behind and i think for people development i've been an individual that has always wanted to help uh, help people become better, get the most out of them, influence, uh, all of those positive things. But I've also learned that more recently, there are people that don't need the help, don't want to be helped, and that's also okay. Don't force it. You can't help people that don't want to be helped and also learn to save a little bit of your own energy and where it goes. What kind of movie would it be? What genre? Science fiction, probably. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. I like that. (laughs) This utopian world. (laughs) My name is Mike Gaska. I'm originally from Romania and I'm a professional working within Booking.com and I've worked on a relatively large number of topics, but my main passion revolves around leading teams of people and developing individuals to become their better version of themselves. Welcome to a new episode of the Better Teams podcast. Vincent here and I will be your host today. This podcast is about building better teams because that's what my co-host Max and I love doing and we have the strong belief that with great sustainable team dynamics you can achieve anything. This podcast is your space to grow in terms of management and leadership and to meet people with real life experience in developing individuals into high performing teams. Thank you for listening. Hi Mike. Hey, good morning, Vincent. How are you doing? I'm very good. It's a gray Monday morning, but despite that, all happy. Same here in Belgium. (laughs) I'm really happy to talk to you because you've been recommended on LinkedIn to me, thanks to Nicholas. Thank you, Nicholas. Thank you, Nico. I had asked people to recommend uh, inspiring leaders on LinkedIn a few weeks ago. It worked well. Don't hesitate to do that, to tell me who I should talk to. You, Mike, you have been praised on LinkedIn quite a lot uh, for your management skills and leadership capabilities. And when we talked together, you told me that you had to learn everything, literally everything by yourself, learning on the job. And I thought that was very powerful and that was really interesting. And you learned through mainly two very formative experiences. And I'd like to go through them with you today because I think you can teach a lot to people. Uh, So first, can you tell us a bit more, can you develop a bit more on what led you to managing a team, on who you are, uh, how you landed this first management position, uh, and how challenging it was? Yeah, well, indeed, a shout out goes to Nico for nominating me. It's impressive that he still remembers, let's say, the... The, the advice that I provided to him during his formative time as well as a, as a leader. Which says a lot, by the way. Yeah, indeed. I've been a, a leader or managing teams for almost seven years now in different roles, but all of that time has been spent uh, within Booking.com, just one organization. 
as you were saying, like I've grown up or I've learned everything on the job. And that's very much true. I started my first job as a customer service representative in booking.com. And throughout the past seven, 10 years, I've just grown through the ranks, learning everything uh, literally on the job, simply because I've been quite curious, driven, and wanted to be able to help people um, improve themselves and also learn from my own journey. What's been driving me to kind of manage a team, uh, it, as I mentioned, is just helping others. Uh, I'm, I've, I've seen the role of a manager, or of a leader as one that is uniquely positioned to help people. So that's kind of been the, the driver behind my, uh, my wanting to kind of grow, develop individuals. Uh, but I've learned that it's not just the desire to help people um, that is going to make it all work. There's a lot more that comes with it. Uh, so the past seven years have been indeed like a learning journey. I, I can't say that it will ever stop because every single day I learn something new about new people that I get to work with. Uh, how did I land my first position uh, as manager of, of, of teams? Um, I got promoted literally within Booking.com. I applied to become a team leader after seeing, you know, what it's like to be a senior and coaching people. So I got a taste for that. Um, and becoming a team lead, uh, it was more of a... I'll throw you in and learn how to swim on your own sort of an experience, uh, which was quite intense. That's nice. Yeah, there was no real manual that anyone gave to you, just a couple of things on the administrative things that you were supposed to know about, like how to log people in the system if they're late or not, but nothing really in regards to how do you help people understand what they should be focusing on, how to get the most out of them, how to motivate them, how to manage underperformance. Uh, all of that was scraping knees and bumping heads for me, trying to learn uh, really the, the hard way. Do you think it can really be taught these topics? Or maybe, like, do you think all these topics can be taught or do you have to experience it? Uh, do you regret having to experience them by yourself? We have an episode with Max uh, on specifically on learning on the job. Uh, is it good? Is it bad? When can it be good? Uh, we tried to discuss the topic, but what do you think about that? You had to go through it yourself. To be honest, I wouldn't change it for the world. Um, I've now developed a better understanding by having to go through all of this uh, hands-on sort of an experience and learning on the job. I think what I would have appreciated uh, would have been to maybe have someone uh, like a mentor figure that would have been, you know, there ahead of me and saying like, okay, you might experience this, that, the other. Um, I had no points of reference in regards to, okay, what might be coming my way. And I think that's where being able to learn was a little bit more difficult because I still had to wrap my mind around different concepts that I wasn't prepared for. So more somebody telling you, okay, I understand what you go through. This is normal. It's called that, but not, not necessarily someone telling you, this is what you have to do. This is what the solution is. Yeah, exactly. Makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. Let's dive into the first of the two formative experiences. Then you became a customer service team leader and you had to manage right away a multilingual team of 12 to 40 people, depending on the time. That's a pretty big jump. Uh, how did you feel about that when you started to manage this team? Well, like all newbies, uh, I was naive. I, I thought, you know, now I have the job. It's all going to work itself out. I have the position. Uh, everyone's just going to listen to me because I'm, I'm the leader, right? It says it in my job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, indeed, managing a multilingual team of customer service representatives with diverse language skills, and let's not forget about the complexity of cultural backgrounds. Um, with me being also the youngest manager on the site, I think I was 24 at that time, 
Um, it was a bit of a challenge. Uh, first of all, because I'm the youngest, people won't take me seriously. Second of all, because I'm idealistic and I just expect people to drop down and listen to what I have to say because I'm the newest kid on the block. And then thirdly, because I did not have the experience and I just rolled with it. I went swimming. So it was quite a bit of a challenge. Now in hindsight, during those times, I thought, well, this is how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a bit challenging. It's supposed to be tough. But I didn't understand how big of a jump that was for me, actually, in that moment. Do you think that saved you to not understand how tough it was or how difficult it was? I think so. If I would have had the insight that I have now, probably I would have said, ah, it's going to be too difficult. Don't go for it, man. <laughs> so yeah, I appreciate the naivete and the idea of, you know, I can get through it all. I can get through it all kind of a mentality. Yeah. So how did it go? Tell us more. It wasn't as easy as I thought it would be. In my mind, being a, a manager back in those days was all about, you know, team spirit and getting things done and, you know, making people happy. I then learned about the, the difficulties of, you know, uh, telling people that contracts aren't getting renewed and the impact on them emotionally and uh, yeah, sometimes even physically. Um, I've learned how to give feedback, which was quite a, you know, a learning curve for me as well. The concepts of coaching and really how to get people excited about business and how to figure out what they're motivated about and link that to like the business aspects. It was really, really challenging, but I'm actually grateful I've had like a, a strong group of peers around me that I could connect with and ask for their advice and input um, and, and slowly took it one day at a time. What lessons did you take away from this particular experience, would you say? Three big things. Um, I, I decided to keep an open mind and learn from each experience, no matter how challenging. I truly still believe that everything we go through, it's supposed to teach you something, to enhance you in a manner or another, uh, to help you learn either about how the world works or how you as an individual work um, in different situations or what your response is. So take that friction as something to, to kind of help you focus. The second thing I think was to ask for advice. I'm still very much self, uh, self-sufficient self individual, like my wife calls me. A, You're not a self-cleaning oven, so still ask for help. Uh, so asking for advice, even though it might be tough sometimes uh, to accept that, you know, you might not, you might think that you're doing great, but someone else might give you a different perspective and you're supposed to also stay open to that because you don't have the universal truth about the world. But if you're willing to listen to the advice or the feedback, you'll be two steps ahead of the game because most people already have a difficulty and they cringe to the idea of asking advice, asking for, uh, for feedback, especially the constructive one. And the third one is, and that's been my saving star, remember to be curious about how things work, how people work. Uh, when things don't go your way, naturally you have a tendency to get frustrated about things. Uh, if you stay curious and you try to understand, okay, why is it happening this way? Why is it going that way? Or why is this person responding that way? You replace that frustration with curiosity and that helps you get to the core of things much faster, much easier without having to, you know, engage yourself too much in negative emotions. What part of the of this first position, this first role you liked the most, apart from all the challenges? What was really fun about it? Hmm. That's a really good question. I think... 
in this role, what I enjoyed the most was the ability to give people the sense of confidence back, you know, help them see what they're really capable of and really guide them towards their next development step on, you know, their professional ladder. So right after that first experience, and I think it was about four years, you remained four years as a, a customer service team leader, right? Yeah, there was a lot to learn. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> a lot every year. Um, you became content executive team leader. And at that point, so you have more experience. The team is a lot smaller. I think it's more seven to nine people, right? So we might think that this second experience would have been easy yeah. compared to the previous one. Uh, yeah. But actually, it was not. Uh, so that's what you told me before. It, it And it's kind of normal in a way, right? It, it brought new challenges and new lessons, again, on how to engage people. So can you tell us more about this uh, second context? Yeah, I think the content executive team leader was a role that I enjoyed. And that was for a little bit around a year as well, where the team was quite small, indeed, seven to nine people. But shortly after that, I moved into the moderation solutions manager role, where my team was even smaller, two to three people, where... I'm also currently at. And this has been actually the most challenging part of my growth and development. Um, I can tell you a little bit more about this, if that's something that you would like to hear more about. Yeah, absolutely. So on the solutions role, uh, this indeed required an evolution of my influencing skills and communication skill. The moderation solutions manager role um, was just being introduced. So was the entire track that I was building um, within our content agency department. While my direct team was quite small, the setup was different uh, because my topic, uh, moderation, uh, needed to be supported by other tracks like our product and tech departments, analytics, operations, and other teams that are working on the front end or teams like legal and PR or security. So in that sense, it meant that not everyone knew by definition what the problems we were trying to solve were, uh, what sort of resources we would need, what support we would need, and why should they be supporting us at all even. In that sense, it was quite different because it wasn't entirely just a team that I was managing, but actually an entire group of individuals that needed to kind of come and galvanize around the topic that I was managing. Yeah, so we discussed that a bit when we first talked to prepare, but it's a completely different kind of leadership, right? Indeed. It's, uh, it's different because while in my TL role, I had to learn how to capitalize on the authority that was already built into that particular role. With this new one, with the solutions manager role, there was no instilled authority in respect to my stakeholders or my peer group for that matter. So I had to learn how to present like a business problem, gain their buy-in, their commitment. Uh, why should they dedicate resources? Um, why should they care about my problems or my track's problems for that matter? So how did you adapt? How did you change? I think, uh, yeah, I learned a couple, of, uh, a couple of new things. I've learned it's important to have a clear narrative, like a storyline. What is it? What's the strategy behind what I'm trying to build? Um, to paint that picture so that everyone can understand what sort of role they play in that and why they should care about the issue uh, that I'm sharing with them. And data, like Booking, for example, is a super data-driven company. And while being analytical is not my forte, <laughs> I've also learned how to wield the power of data in storytelling. That's very interesting. Uh, I'm I'm really interested in, in storytelling. Most of the time, we say you know you have to you have to have a vision mm. that's very important and people will follow. But we rarely engage, I think, in how to have people engage, how to have people follow. Yeah. So in your particular case, 
what made it easier? What made it work to have people to work on your project and to get committed? Commitment is also a big word. How to get people committed to your vision? When it comes down to authority and respect, um, some of the key elements for me are, strangely enough, transparency and honesty, uh, authenticity. I've learned it's always, always best to be frank about situations when you, you know, you don't know to admit that you don't know and to ask questions. Uh, I myself always respected authentic, honest and transparent individuals. So I always try to to be that for my teams and for my peer group as well, as much as I can. Uh, I realize that we're all in this journey at this time, so we might as well live it authentically. There's no time to, to waste with egos and pettiness, that sort of thing. We're all human beings, we're professionals, so I try to make the best out of the place that we're in right now, uh, trying to stay as open and, and, and honest as possible. It sounds also very, very familiar to me because it's something that uh, Max and I, we strongly believe as well, and it's through several episodes. We also talk about that. Max has a video on YouTube about when you cannot say everything to the team, what should you do? And maybe you, you were in this position as well at some point. You Many have something times. that you have to hold back because you're not allowed to say, maybe. Were you in that position at some point? you have something to say about that kind of situations? Numerous times where I'm, I've been in positions where I knew more than what my teams could have access to in terms of knowledge and information. So how do you stay authentic and transparent in situations like those? Um It, it's tough because you have to go with the honest uh, truth. I have some information. I unfortunately cannot share it with you at the moment, but I want you to understand that through the nature of what I'm doing right now, I have your best interest at hand, sort of an approach. So sometimes, yes, we will have access to information that our teams cannot have access to, and we have to get them to understand that we're leading them from a place of trust uh, and uh, you know, best interest. Yeah, absolutely. When we first talked uh, to Pipet, we talked a bit about influence because that's something that matters to you. So what is your relationship with influence, both direct and indirect? Because I think it's, it's interesting to make a, a difference here. I have to admit, for me, it's an, uh, an ever-changing relationship. For quite some time, I've, I found it quite frustrating having to kind of explore Uh, similar concepts or concepts that I thought were common sense with individuals, uh, trying to get them to understand, buy into the idea, uh, jump on that particular business case, where for me it would be like, but you should see like the value in this. Why don't you get it? Why don't you jump on it? Why don't you, you know, pick it up? So um, I think for me, influencing skills have been something that I've, 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 as well learned to develop throughout time, be it that it was direct influencing skills or indirect influencing skills. I've learned to understand that different audiences require, let's say, a different approach. Um, I have to figure out, okay, uh, how do I present problems in the most efficient way without wasting people's time? Um, how do I get them to you know, understand like, The situation I'm presenting to them is like a win-win. They would get something out of it. Everyone would be happy at the end of the day. And I've also learned because a lot of people think, okay, when you're trying to convince someone, you might be bothering them or you might be creating a, an unpleasant situation that you're bringing an advantage to that table or to, 
to, to their issue and try to position yourself in, in, in that way. So those have been some of the things that I've learned. Initially, I was a super shy, stay in your corner kind of individual. And I was like, why would I go and talk to this person and tell them that we need to fix this problem? Why will they care? They have probably a bunch of other things. They're not even going to look at me. So I had to slowly build up the courage like, no, they should care about this problem because I care because this is the impact and this is what's going to be good for them and for their teams as well if we all work on it. So it took a couple of years before I would feel comfortable to just go like, hey dudes, this is the issue. This is how we're going to go about it. Do you have a better idea of how we can get this done? And if not, uh, how can we still do it? <laughs> if you had to sum up maybe three, four pillars for engagement, just for clarity for people listening to us and who already got a lot of information, uh, I believe, how would you sum it up? I like structure, so I'm going to sum it up in a structured way. People that know me already, they're going to laugh at this when they're going to hear it. Uh, <laughs> Do you have a nickname? I feel like you could get a nickname for that. No, but I have a feeling it's going to come up. Okay. Very soon. <laughs> <laughs> Or I might have a nickname that I don't know about. That might be the truth oh, as well. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> so I have four things that I focus on with uh, when it comes down to kind of uh, engagement. Uh First one is do your recon. Second one is connect the dots. Third one is pitch and crowdsource. And fourth one, assign ownership. How does it work? So first of all, if you want to approach a group towards engagement on a particular idea, it's important to do your recon as in. Find out as much as possible about who are the people that you need to have on board. What are your dependencies? Um, and if you have the time, and if it's the first time you have to do this, connect with them one-on-one -on -one to learn more about them, what their priorities are at this very moment. Then the second thing is in the connected dots. So between what you need and what they find important and a priority, how do those kind of cross over, overlap and start building your business case? Uh, is your data pointing in that same direction as, you know, your instinct uh, and be willing to have your ideas crushed as well before you get out the door. So take this opportunity to kind of be your biggest critic and really assess, like, am I still looking at the, at the right things? If you're still looking at the right things and data's pointing in the same direction, you have a pretty solid business case, then pitch and crowdsource, uh, as in present the problem. Find a way to get everyone at the table that is impacted by this or affected or would need to have a say into this and get them to listen to, to your problem, um, why your ask is important for them present a possible way of addressing that problem as well, uh, as in come up with, with an idea. It doesn't have to be perfect as to what the solution would be, uh, but at least you give people something to look at, and then they can, even if they're not well bought into, they might even give you a, a better idea of how you could handle all of this. They could be critical. Yeah, that's good. That's fine. It might hurt a little bit, but it's still good. You have someone else that can put a little bit of their intelligence into it. If they're in the room, they might not commit to it, but they might already give you some suggestions uh, or some might see an opportunity to forward their own cause. Either way, you're slowly making some steps and getting somewhere. Lastly, if you've managed to get everyone in the room, assign ownership. Basically, make sure that any meeting that you have ends with like a conclusion, agreements, next steps, clear ownership. Otherwise, people usually tend to wiggle their way out of situations or, you know, develop this short term memory loss. Yeah. At the very beginning, you mentioned the fact that your wife is 
always telling you that you're not self-sufficient <laughs> and you have to share to talk to ask questions but yeah. when we first talked together to prepare this interview you told me that your journey was and I quote you a self-made man experience yeah and I thought that was very true and I wanted to talk a bit about it if you if you're willing to develop on that what do you mean when you say a self-made man experience I know it sounds a little bit corny but because uh, I've also heard it with other folks uh, within my community and I, I loved it so much. So I'm, I'm going to keep the corny, corny aspect of it. And I'm going to explain why I, I like to define myself as a self-made man. It's two, two reasons. Reason number one is in my professional career, I've had to kind of build myself up. There was no cousin or uncle that could appoint me in a nice and well-paid position. I had to work my, uh, my own way up based on my own merit, regardless of my gender, my race, my creed, or my sexual orientation. So I give a lot of credit as well to Booking for allowing that sort of culture in which I could grow myself based on my skills and capabilities, not based of my external exterior appearance. And if I can add something to that, it's because you told me the first time that in Romania, it happens a lot, right? Uh, Very that, much. Yeah, nepotism. So, so it's not, yeah. you're not just saying that because of that, but just because it, it happens a lot in Romania. Exactly. So thank you for adding that context, indeed. Um, the second reason why I, I, I really like this phrase of a self-made man is, and you probably can hear it from my voice, it's still very much girly, because I'm still transitioning from female to male. That means that even though I started my professional journey at Booking.com 10 years ago, I started it as Michelle. Only for a year and a bit now, everyone at Booking and now within my group of friends and acquaintances and so on, uh, know me as Mike. And that's where I'm going like, yeah, I'm building myself towards the man that I am today. I'm, as I said, grateful for the amazing culture at Booking where I could bring my true self at work. And it's no wonder indeed that it's the second year in a row when Booking gets the Financial Times Award for Leader in Diversity. And I actually have to, to give it credit for that. It's not just a piece of paper. It is indeed a, a true culture where I felt comfortable from day one uh, being who I really am and not felt like I'm either treated differently just because I am different myself. It was indeed skills, merit and capability that kind of allowed me to you know, grow and develop as a professional. We'll talk a bit about diversity in just a minute, but I wanted to know, how do you think your personal journey, your personal transformation influenced the way you interact with people, the way you lead other people? Because it's, it's a big part of what you want to do also for people, helping them develop, becoming the best version of themselves. So how was it um, for you? The journey that I've been going through it's just been a, another opportunity for me to look through maybe a different perspective, a different looking glass as how other people interact and engage within the working space. Uh, maybe something that, let's say, other leaders don't have. If, if you don't go through a particular experience, you don't have that lens, so to speak. So that is maybe one thing that has uh, helped me look at, at this differently. But in another way, I want to believe that my personal journey hasn't influenced it in any way because I want to believe that all of these attributes that make us who we are, like gender, race, sexual orientation, background, ability or disability, are just simple attributes and in no way differentiators as to you know how capable, how skilled or talented one is, although it might add uh, a different lens, a different perspective, having a diverse group of individuals working on a problem. Uh, say, for example, uh, when we're talking about creating a, a web page, 
um, you need to have someone from uh, the group of um, diverse abilities on that spectrum of diverse abilities to help you build a web page that is accessible for people with uh, you know different sort of impairments and that, and that that sort of thing kind of helps so for my part um, I want to to believe that indeed uh, going through this journey only helps me to value individuals through their skills, competencies, and talent, regardless as well of what their race, gender, uh, religious creed, or sexual orientations are. It's who they are, what their talents are that are coming to the table then. I'm going to ask about gender because it's it's mainly your experience. That's something I'm wondering now. It's still today, I think, this area of the, the corporate world management it's very strong on gender you know you have like leadership is very much still associated with men we are still wondering you know, what what is a feminine leadership what is a, ma- a masculine leadership do you have thoughts on that what is your view on that um, and also how hard can it be for you or how easy can it be for you i don't know to shape craft your your own identity in the middle of that all these assumptions all this laziness maybe sometimes for people who are not just thinking beyond what leadership could mean it's a very complex question i have multiple feelings on that on the like breakdown between male female dominated leadership positions i think we need to look at leaders as leaders regardless of gender let's say we have to be honest that historically speaking Um, it hasn't been always a fair balance between, you know, the the share of female and male appointed roles within leadership teams. So on one hand, I'm a very big fan of just looking at human beings as human beings and what can they bring to the table. But let's be honest, that's idealistic. That's naive again of me to think that, you know, that's going to solve any sort of problem. It won't. So we need to address also the elephant in the room. There needs to be more accountability around how people are appointed in leadership positions, regardless, again, uh, of, you know, kind of what the the gender breakup is. In regards to how difficult is it for someone like me to, you know, kind of craft their own leadership whilst going through their own kind of definition as a human being, it's not easy, but... Uh, I never sit and ask myself, is this something easy or is this something hard? I just know this is something that I need to do. And this is my journey. I need to go on it and I'll just have to deal with the with the situation. Will I bump into people that are going to be difficult about who I am as an individual? That says more about them than it says about me. So then I have an opportunity to educate and inform. But I'm not going to stop myself and go like, oh, this is going to be hard oh, I have a disadvantage in comparison to everyone else already. That's not going to get me anywhere if I'm going to sit and do that. So I'll, I just take it as a, it is what it is. And if I want to get anything done, I might as well go and do it and just deal with whatever comes my way whenever it comes my way and see what kind of person I am when I'm faced with that situation. That's very brave because most of us, we don't stand every day as figures to inform or educate. You know, that's an ongoing battle. I guess yeah, you have days up and days more down. When if yeah. if you're tired, you might not want to get into a, a whole speech on hey, I'm going to inform and educate you, guy. <laughs> Just listen to me. You have to learn something today. No, leave me alone. No, 
No, and I think that was the the most difficult part with my own family. I think that's where the the uphill of the educational aspect was. Professionally speaking, I think the world that I live in and the organization that I live in, people are quite forward-thinking already, quite open-minded. So I don't feel like I had to do quite a lot of work in terms of educating and informing people. Yes, it still happens sometimes, but I feel like it's also my responsibilities. And even if I have an off day, what, does the Pope stop being the Pope because he's having an off day? No. hide inside the Vatican I think (laughs) yeah I take a holiday and then we move on as well (laughs) yeah Um, let's take a few minutes to sum up a few main lessons how would you sum up good leadership lessons when I thought about this question I thought about something that most probably you wouldn't do actually which is uh, giving advice to your past self from 2012 2013 when you started so assuming you would give advice instead of learning everything on the job, what would you tell Michelle at that point, right? Yeah, yeah. It's okay to ask for help. Like that theme stands um, because that self-sufficient individual uh, always wants to, you know, fix everything by themselves, show that they're good, capable, all of those things. But learning it the hard way, if I would have known earlier that it's not that bad to ask for help, to ask for advice, that it's actually the fast track of learning, and developing instead of just going at it the hard way scraping your knees and not you know looking left or right and going like hey could i do this better could i do this faster could i uh, that would have been that would have been great for me because now i tell it to everyone that i work with uh, where i see that, like they have the same tendency you're not expected to know everything no one else does so why do you have such expectations such high expectations of yourself to kind of know everything and sort everything on your own my last question is always the same to guests i give you the final say so who would you like to send a message to and And what would be that message? Two messages, if I can. Can I be obnoxious that way? Yeah, because we had a good time, so yes. Okay, thank you. So one, it's going to be to all of the people that I had the honor to manage or work with. I really want to thank them for their patience. While I'm also learning throughout this whole journey, I'm making mistakes. I'm aware of that. But hopefully we all had something to learn from this entire journey together. So this goes out to also my mentees. Uh, like Nico, who has uh, recommended me for this one, and all of my former and present reports. Thank you for making me the person I am today. I owe it most to you. The second one goes out to your listeners. Um, Really trust yourself. You have a good, most of the times, good idea as to what the best decision should be. Um, If you're not entirely sure, ask for help, ask for advice. Continue to invest in yourself and develop yourself as an individual by listening to podcasts like these ones or, you know, doing courses on your own spare time. Hustle a little bit. If you don't invest in yourself, no one else is going to take the time or the energy to put uh, that effort into you. So you make yourself a priority first. All right. Mike, thanks a lot. My pleasure. It was a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, consider giving it 5 stars on Apple Podcasts and a good review. It helps us a lot. Before you leave, I have one question for you. Who should be our next guest? Manager, HR professional, sport coach, CEO, managing director. Who inspires you as a team leader? Get in touch and let us know. Thanks again and see you in the next episode.